I'm amazed every single time that we uh, blend with our music. They pick, God seems to anoint their Hannah or Tom or something, anoints them, and the words are just um, almost as you could just freeze. And the songs, if you, if you pay attention to the words, really do, because all the words of the songs are going to complement the message, or the message is going to complement the songs, one or, one or the other. So take them to heart. We're in a series of the biblical theology of God. Now, that's a, a big, big thing, to take the biblical theology of God. Uh, God is unlimited. Uh, he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And we're going to try to kind of confine down. But uh, Ben has picked some of the things that I think will give you a bigger picture as you look at Scripture, look at God, look at life. And he started by God is the creator. And he creates, and we went through the things of creation. We're going to even touch a little on that today, too. And then we talked about the kingdom and on how not only is there a kingdom, if then you have to have a king. And this king is a personal king. I, I, if you were not here, uh, he played a portion of a message from my king. And, and if you remember the words of that, it was a very descriptive uh, picture of God being our king and this Jesus being our king and this is a personal king and then Nick last week talked on the covenant and the atonement and he did an incredible job on that and remember that the covenant and the atonement is really and all of these are a grand invitation uh, into relationship so that we will fall into worship worship is an interesting word we we sometimes say well okay let's get there in time for worship uh, and so we limit it way down to a song or singing or music, and that uh, really, really does injustice to worship. Worship is simply putting God in the right place where he belongs. In everything that you do, that there's an acknowledgement that it, God is the God that did this. All of our songs today are talking about the presence of God, and when you embrace the presence of God, you are in worship. You're simply acknowledging already that God exists and he rules this universe. And so worship is not limited to that. And just the way you live life and walk life is worship. And the way that you uh, to sing and play the guitar is worship. And there's times, sometimes you might be listening to the musicians and you're taken just by either the voice or by the writer that wrote them or even by the sound of the instrument. Those that really have entered into knowing God will see that as worship. They will see that nothing comes down to this planet that's not gift from him. And it throws you into a place of worship. And so today we are going to look at God and the temple. And God and the temple. And uh, I do think that uh, Satan, when I was reading in my devotional this morning, and a lot of times before I speak, I, I do not like to study what I'm talking about, I like to have my own devotional so that I can at least come filled. And uh, so I was looking in there, and I saw the, the, the different times that Satan lied and, uh, and brought deception to his people, or to, uh, to the people, the God's people. And he always takes a really neat truth, twists it enough so that we get diverted from the very focus of God being the center. And so he twists it either on your performance or on who you are or on what somebody else is doing wrong or what's going on about, and we lose focus of the big picture, and the focus of the big picture is God. And so 
Uh, we need to kind of revamp that. And so when I say the word temple, uh, we, can, we can use the word temple, we can talk about the, his house, we can talk about the church, we can talk about the place of God. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we get ourselves so limited and we get limited down to what that means so that it means, okay, we come to Rimrock here and we come to the church and this is where God is, which he is. Uh, but when I began to look at this, I, I, I said, okay, let's go back to the first sign of the original temple. The temple is the place of God. When God created the universe and he hung out the stars and the galaxies and the cosmos that were out there, basically that was his first demonstration of his temple. That was the temple of where God existed. Later on you saw people uh, deceived by Satan to basically try to reduce things down and they began to look at the cosmos and worship the cosmos and took their focus off of something and God says, oh, you marvel. You look at the, the galaxies and the stars and the universe and you marvel at those. He said, that's my throne. I sit on that. I'm in the presence of the galaxies. That's my temple. And then people started worshiping all the stuff on the earth and the trees and the stars. Instead of understanding worship being they came from God, they began to worship. And he says, and then the earth, you talk about the mountains and the waters and the rivers and stars. That's my footstool. I put my feet up on that. And, and he begins to show people that. And so then after that temple, God begins to show us the first temple after that. And it's the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was the place where God would let man come in and man was to care for that garden. That basically put them, Adam and Eve, were the first priests. They were the first priests because they were given a job to care for that temple that God would exist in and the purpose so that he could walk amongst them, dwell, and have fellowship. It was an invitation to man, to Adam and Eve, that I will be your God and you will be my people. We'll walk amongst this garden, enjoying it, carving our way through life. But remember, you care for that. Then there's a temple of the mountain, the holy mountain, and uh, where God said that I will place my temple upon this mountain. And you know the story of the consuming fire that came, and it said that anything within its presence was consumed because of the holiness and the glory and the fire of God and the consuming fire. And then you remember the promise to David. And he said, David, you're going to build me a temple. And last night I decided to look at that again. And if you ever, I mean, it's amazing the details that God gave him that he was going to pass on to Solomon. Because David was not going to get to build a temple. He was just going to raise all the money, do all of the work, raise the money, and give the, the layout to Solomon. And Solomon was going to get to build the temple. And so David does that. And, he, and, and after David raises the money, he said, who am I and who are my people that we get to somehow offer these sacrifices to you? For thine is the greatness and the glory and the power and the majesty and the victory, and everything in this earth belongs to you. And nobody is made great unless you come and make them great. And nobody offers to you unless you give them that to offer. Do, well, do we not just take from your right hand and give to your left? For all is yours. And you know what was interesting is Solomon, when he builds the temple, 
And he's finished the building and he does a prayer and he begins to pray. And even Solomon was not confused by what the enemy had deceived people. Solomon says, this house that I am to build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. For who is able to build him a house? Since heaven and even the highest heavens cannot contain him, who am I to build a house for him except at a place to make an offering before him? And he also repeats this again later. Now, when I first was given this assignment, I had some direction that I wanted to go, and God kept putting in my heart a word, and uh, it's a word we probably don't use a lot, but it's a word describing God. He's omnipresent. And it's an incredible word. He's omnipresent simply means that there is not anywhere that God does not exist. There's not anywhere that you can go that God is not. And he wanted to make sure that you understand that the temple, the church, the building, whether it's Rimrock here or down in the meadow, that is not where only God is contained. God says, I'm not contained in just what man can make and man can build. These places are simply reminders of who God is and his presence with us. When we confine them down and we make them confined to the fact that God is just confined to this office, we do very, very harm to our faith and to our belief system. I remember when I was playing baseball and I was with the farm team with the California Angels and what happened is in the winter we were going to go down and we were going to play our winter season down in Mexico. And I didn't know much about the lifestyle. I, I, I decided I'd try to learn Spanish. And of course, my wife and some of my friends thought, you don't even know English very well. So to give Spanish a try, but I was going to do it anyway. And I remember we would be uh, traveling, and a lot of the people that we played with, especially the people that were the locals, and there was an awful lot of uh, self or sin uh, there were drugs being passed on the, on the buses, and there was a lot of pornography, a lot of junk. They just seemed like some of the most unholy people. And it would be amazing when we would walk by, they'd drop us off, we'd walk to the ballpark. But the moment we got within ground of the church, they would do this, and they would not do anything and say anything, and no cuss words or anything. And then when they got past the church, they could swear again. And they believed wholeheartedly that this was God's house, and God existed there, and they needed to be pretty darn pure when they walked by that house. Somebody asked me, as a matter of fact, it was my son, I think. Uh, I think he said, how do people do that? How do they believe that? And I said, well, I remember when I was a young boy, I was about 10, 11 years old, and I was an altar boy. And I remember going uh, to this Blessed Sacrament Church down here, and I would go into that church, and when I walked into that church, I felt like I was going into the presence of God. And I went in there, and I couldn't believe how I felt, and, I, and my, my whole desire was to see God and to know God. And, and if you put the little thing on your forehead, I was proud to have it on there. And they put ashes on Wednesday, and I'd go to, to the school with ashes on my head, and it's like... I remember it with all of my heart and my zeal. I was going in there in the presence of God. Until I began to realize something. I was going 
And not, that, not necessarily that the Blessed Sacrament was doing wrong, but I was going into a place with an unknown God. He was unknown. I wanted so bad to know him, and so there was such a religious zeal in me. I can understand why these people would walk by that place they thought was holy, because I had a misunderstanding of who this was. Paul, on his sermon on Mars, says this, if you listen, in Acts 17, he says, And Paul stood in the midst of the men and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very, very religious in all respects. For while I passed through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all it contains, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples and churches and buildings made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything from anyone. For he himself gives to all life and breath and all things, and he made from one every nation of mankind to live and on this face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far off from each one of you. For in him we live and move and exist, and even some of your poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that a divine nature is like gold or silver or stones or an image formed by man and can be contained in any place. I felt that when that was put on my heart that we would understand that. I think before we can go into understanding the temple and understand what church and the building and all that is, we have to understand something that God is omnipresent. God dwells everywhere. Augustine says God is not partly here and partly there, but totally present at every point in the universe. Jeremiah, God says, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And then God says in Ezekiel 48, he revealed his name, and he began to reveal another name that would be more and more personal. And he says, my name is Jehovah Shammah. That word Shema means present with us. That God is present with us. Now here's an important thing that I want to share before we move on into this. If you somehow contain God to here, so you come up here and we, we come into this building and say, okay, here we are, we're going to worship God at this building. Is he just as present in your mind? Is he just as consciously there in your hearts when you drive out of here and go wherever you're going, to the store, whether it's Safeway or something like that? Are you aware of the fullness of the deity of God wherever you go? That's the point God's making. When we isolate it down, then we somehow live like those people in Mexico. We come in here, we do our whatever it might be, we are nice to each other, and then we leave here because we've lost view of God being omnipresent, that God dwells everywhere and cannot be confined. Church is only for us to have the reminder that God dwells everywhere. Does that make sense to you? Because it'll make a world of difference of how you live life. I try not to think anything different about me being here in this building than I do when we're outside on the meadow. 
I don't try to be any different if I'm outside mowing my lawn. For the presence of God is all around, and the presence of God is fully everywhere. Now, just a warning. Star Wars did not have it right. This is not, I'm not talking about the force. Because they're saying God has ever existed, so he's the force. The difference is, he was, they was a force of an unknown God. Our God has a personality. Our God is personal. If you did not listen to when Ben's sermon two weeks ago, when he talked about the kingdom, and he says, my king is a sovereign king. My king is a holy king. And he went through the whole thing. That's the God that lives everywhere. That's the God that is personal. And it says our God is a consuming fire. And whenever he is mentioned, fire comes because he's so holy that nothing unholy can stand before him. But then he chooses to dwell with us. He chooses, chooses to live with us. And so therefore he comes and he basically comes to us and reveals himself to us as a personal God. He is our environment. You don't come into the presence of God. Rather, you come into the awareness of the presence of God. And as I finish here with the musicians come up, we're going to mix a song right in the middle of this because I want you to join in the words of the song and join in the meaning of the song. It's basically telling you that if you have really grasp what God is and who he is, that it's sort of like when you have communion it's not that all of a sudden you have this communion and that's God only during the communion. God says, whenever you eat, whenever you drink, do this in remembrance of me. Communion is a reminder that what God did for you and me. Communion is a reminder which we'll, work, we'll go ahead and we'll uh, partake in later. It's a reminder of the fact that God did these things. So it says the presence of God is always there. The manifestation of the presence of God is in God's hands. And what I mean by that is you'll come back and sometimes you'll walk away from the sermon and say, wow, God was really there today. And, or, wow, God really moved through that speaker. Or, wow, that was horrible. Okay? God dwells and manifests himself when he chooses to manifest himself. I've been in places with the most elite speakers, and somehow God chose to not manifest himself. Although it could still come in a soft way into my heart and transform my heart. I'm going to do a quote here, and then after the quote, I'd like you to uh, join us in the song. Authentic transformation is possible if we are willing to do one thing, and that is to arrange our lives around the kind of practices that Jesus led to be constantly receiving power and love from the Father and constantly aware of his presence. Join us with this song. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's the same thing God wants when you walk out this building. It's the same thing God wants you to do when you're cooking dinner is that you become aware of the presence, and your, the presence of God, and it's like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, so that we would live in a constant, constant awareness that God is with you. God is present. He's omnipresent. He doesn't want it confined to Sunday mornings. He doesn't want it confined to this building. He wants you to realize the purpose. 
And then Jesus comes in and takes it a step further. Jesus comes in and says, I am the temple. I am a temple. Remember when he even says, you take and knock this down and in three days we'll rebuild it. And they're thinking he's talking about the building. And he says, he wasn't talking about building. He was talking about his life. He said, I am, the, I am the temple. I am the presence of God. I am the exact representation of the Father. If you've seen the Father, you have seen me. How do you say, show us the Father, Jesus, and we will be satisfied? He says, oh, Philip, have I been with you this long? You don't comprehend anybody that has seen me has seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. I am the place of deity. If you're with me, you are with the temple. You're within the temple. And then he goes and he says, now here's something incredible. He says that I will go away. And you will, should rejoice. You're going to be sad, but you should rejoice. But I will go away because then I will be able to come and dwell within you, and you will become the temple of the living God. So every place you go, every step you take, you are the temple of the living God. The holiness of God is with you, and that's what makes people attracted. Do you know that everybody you run into when you say, hey, you should come to church, they are in your presence there. And so if you begin to realize the fullness of God's presence, you're going to be able to reflect the image of God to those people. Here's the problem that happens. And here's the problem that begins to take precedence, is that we lose sight of the center of this universe. We lose sight of the center of God. And we dwell on margins We focus on the margins, whether it's the building or whether it's the certain study or a certain speaker. And in our country, we have really lost our way. We have a bunch of people, and I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm talking about believers. We have lost sight of the sun, and we started to center on the margins. A pretty famous speaker used this example, and I like the example. And uh, he said... If you would go ahead and study our solar system and look at the sun and put the sun as the center of the solar system, you are going to see all the orbiting of the planets. And if you really look at it and see the timing of all the planets, not only are you amazed, you are blown away and almost fall down to your knees, worship at that design. It's incredible and it leads you to worship. But if you lose focus, and begin to go ahead and center on the margins, and you put Mars in the center, and then you look at the focus of the orbit, you will freak out in fear. You will panic, and you'll say, it is going, Pluto is going to run into Mars. And it's going to happen, because it looks like it's going to happen. And what happens is we've just moved our eyes off of the omnipresence of God and the holiness of God, and we've got ourselves stuck in the margins. We've done that with our political world. We've done it with our vaccines. We've done it with our medicine. We've done it with this COVID thing. They're all things that are true within here, but if you lose focus and center on the margins of anything, you take away the glory of God and you take away the peace of God and you'll be bound up in fear. And you'll be wrapped up in fear. A psalm this morning I was reading was just almost like it was perfectly written for this. And uh, and here's some here's some of the phrases of the psalm. 
For you, oh my God, I have put my trust. You are the center of my heart. And now you've set my feet in a large place. That means a spacious place free from fear. And it says, uh, maybe I shouldn't have just tried to do that early this morning. Well, I mean, you're going to have to have a weak translation of this because I'm going to have to just kind of quote it for you. But he went on and said, because you have lost sight of me, you have become bound up in fear. And because of your wrapped up in fear, you lose sight of my glory and my honor and my worship. And I think that's what happens to us when we lose sight of this. If we reduce, and a margin can be that we simply hold God to our Sunday morning or our Bible study, and then we walk done, and we kind of are done, and you're like me, you did the sign of the cross, and you walk out of that building, and now you go on, you are going to find yourself centered on margins. So I ask you this question. What is occupying most of your mind? What is occupying most of the real estate in your mind? When you go on the internet, what sites do you go on? What are the things? These don't have to be bad things. They don't have to be uh, things that are not created by God. It's just that are we occupying the real estate in our mind with things more often than we're occupying the almighty presence of God in this place? If we can simply switch and say, you know what, God, these things are okay. It's okay for me to know this. But ultimately, you are life, and life is in you. And if I get this back where now we're, or, we're orbiting the right king, and now you are the center, the sun, not S-U-N, but the S-O-N, is the sun, is, re, is what we're revolving around, then all these things will take their right place. And you will magnify this God to a world that needs magnified. We're going to have communion here, and I don't know if you guys come forward for that, but I want to lead you with something uh, and give a preparation for next week. Ben is going to talk then on the body, because you'll notice that once God, matter of fact, refers to our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, our bodies the temple of God, it says that singular, and then later on in 1 Corinthians, it says that for the body is the temple, the body is the corporate body. So if somehow you're thinking, wow, I knew that God dwelt everywhere, so I'm going to be fishing on Sunday with God. And I'll just go ahead and go out and do uh, whatever, because God is wherever I am, which is true. But God says that somehow you can't experience the full glory without the body of Christ being involved. Somehow that person sitting next to you reflects something that you need to hear. If you don't, Proverbs 18.1 says that, that you will isolate yourself from people and you'll start quarreling against good sound truth and following your own gut. And you'll mislead others. So the, the whole point that Ben's going to talk on is the temple being the koinea, the holy church. And that's the people of the church, not this building. So it's not confined to the temple it wasn't confined to the universe. It wasn't confined to the mountain. It wasn't confined to Solomon's building. It's not confined to Rimrock. It's wherever 
that you walk out and become aware of the presence of God, the holiness of God, and I promise you, it will transform the way you live your life. I try not to do anything that I'm not at least reminded of something that I'm aware of the presence of God. And that doesn't mean you're always just sitting there and, you know, and singing hallelujah. It can be just enjoying whatever you're doing. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord rather than unto men. So if you're fishing, fish well. If you're playing baseball, then play it well. Don't be thinking about anything. Put your whole heart into playing that game. Just be aware of the presence of God. As the singers come up for communion, would you guys pray with me? Father, you said one thing that I've asked of the Lord that I may seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon your beauty and the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in your temple. Father, I am so grateful that you're not limited, that you're not limited to one space, and you're not in part at different places. You're fully existent wherever you are. And Lord, I thank you so much that in Psalm 16, you said that whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, there's no one on this earth that's satisfied completely. And then you said that, but as for the saints who are in this world, they're the mighty ones, the majestic ones, in whom is all of my delight. And you said also at the end of that chapter, you said that for in the presence of you, God, is fullness of joy. And with a little teeny bit of the flame that you've given me to realize that whenever I begin to grasp your presence, somehow there's a joy that over, just overshadows any of the hardships. And you take away the fears that this world says somehow that they're going to be in control. I pray for these people today. I pray as we receive communion that we would be mindful and reminded that you are our God. And all that you did for us to make your presence known to us in its full